Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. And uh, before I give you our handouts for today's lesson, I want to make mention of what we were talking about last week and give a conclusion on that. And uh, I'm going to use this chart to uh, show you where we are in, in the timeline. This is a timeline that we have. And uh, let me bump it up just a little bit so it's bigger on the chart here. All right. And uh, I won't try to explain everything, but just simply the... Uh, If I can pull this in a little closer, I will try. This is Adam, the first man here. This is the flood. This is Moses right in here. This is a period of 4,000 years. Abraham was halfway in that group, 2,000 before him, 2,000 since then. And this is a year zero date. This is Calvary, the life of Christ right in here. And then following that, this Pentecost and the church age that we've been in since the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, uh, chapter uh, 238 in chapter 2. And uh, this is the, the church age that has gone on for 2,000 years. Now, the next major event, this is what we talked about last week, is the coming of the Lord. We called it the rapture. We explained that the word rapture is not in the Bible but it's the same as being caught up. Caught up is the word that's used in the English. Rapture is a French word that's been handed down to us that better determines and says it in one word, caught up. So we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord's coming back. When he left here at this time, he said, I'm going away and I'll come back and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. We, got, we went through all of that last week. Following the rapture, there's going to be what is called the tribulation period. This is what most of the book of Revelation, Revelation is all about. It's about this period of time that follows the rapture. And uh, we're going to uh, talk to you just for a, a little bit and then get into a few things. Now, I did mention this at the close, at the close of my Bible study last week. I said that whenever the rapture takes place, this there will be numerous back, backsliders and people who were away from God that knew what they had to do to find the Lord that will come in this place right here. And churches all over the world like this. And they will begin to pray and seek God and try to find the Lord. But it will be too late. He will not be able to be found. They will have to go through what's called the wrath of God right in here. And that, of course, is spelled out in... Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, 617, says this is the wrath of God. So the wrath of God, the Bible says, we have not been appointed unto his wrath. So God will spare us before the wrath of God comes on the earth. So right here, I mean, so what we want to do is be ready to go when Jesus comes. Now, that's what the epistles are all about. There are letters written to the church. How to live for God, how to serve God, how to, how to walk with God, how to please God. And the things that God expects of us to do. And that's why we're looking at the epistles. And of course, the first book, uh, the first epistle ever written in the New Testament was out of 1 Thessalonians. That's why we're looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're talking about it now. Last week I made mention the rapture would take place. And then everybody left here will be in, go through the tribulation period. 
And, of course, to be ready for the rapture, you have to be uh, baptized in Jesus. You have to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to tell you a little incident here. I heard about a couple years ago, this has been a long time ago, that were saved. They had children. And they went to some unsaved relatives and said, when the rapture takes place, we will go in the rapture, but our children will not because they have not been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. So would you make sure that you take them under your wings and take care of them? They did that. Now that won't happen like that. And I'm going to give you scripture for it. Everybody ready for that? All right. So I'm going to give you, I want you to go with me then. Uh, so what about our children? Go to 1 Corinthians seven fourteen with me. 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. Now before I read this verse, this is before we get into our lesson today now. This is finishing up last week's lesson. Before I read 714, let me just say the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians is all about marriage and divorce. And it's about, uh, you know, men staying with their wives, wives staying with their husbands and not leaving. And what if one is saved and the other is not saved? If a man is saved and his wife not saved, the marriage is holy in the sight of God. It's It's a holy marriage because it's a legitimate marriage. She's not to leave him just because he's not saved. Same thing with a woman. If she's Saved, has the Holy Ghost, living for God. He is not. He's an, he's an old out, outright sinner. No, they stay together in a marriage. That marriage is divine, is, is holy in the sight of God. And uh, so they, they don't lose their part. And in doing that, uh, she will win possibly him to the Lord or reverse. He will win his wife possibly to the Lord. So the Lord talks about, that's what this is all about here. I'm reading, I'm going to read the 13th and then the 14th verse. And the woman which hath an un, a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So I won't go into all the details of that. But look at the 14th verse. This is interesting. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife that is in the marriage. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband in the in the marriage. Else... Were your children unclean, but now are they holy? If you have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, your children, your little ones in your, under your care, they are holy. Even though they have not been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen to me carefully on this. Now, I'm going to go over here to Revelations chapter 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And that's what the rapture is. It is the first resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the first resurrection. I'll give you a verse for that in just a moment. It says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of king because through a thousand years. And so blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So your children, when they are made holy, they will be in the first resurrection. So just like you will go in the rapture, your children will go in the rapture as well. Now, having said that, there is an age of accountability when they must find God for themselves individually. Now, where that age is, I think with every child or every child growing up, it's at a different time. It depends on that child, depends on his 
mentality depends on a lot of things. God alone knows that. But when he does begin to reach that stage or that age, God will begin to deal with him. And I remember both my children, when God began to deal with them at a certain age, first Denise Johnson, she's right back there. I remember when she was a little girl, she got to the place where she said, I want to be baptized. I want the Holy Ghost. I want to be, you know, she wanted to be saved. I remember that with your pastor, my son, whenever he reached that age, he started praying and everything and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm just trying to say there is a place where they do. So you don't just say, oh, well, no, don't worry about it. And when their feet are hanging out in the aisle and sitting in a you know, chair and everything, you say, oh, they're okay. They're, they may be 27 years old, but my damage. No, no, no. They have to be saved as well. Do you understand what I'm saying here? But I am trying to put at ease any parent or grandparent even that would pass this along to your children that have children. That if they are living for God and you're serving God and you have the Holy Ghost and you have small children, they'll go in the rapture with you. God is a just God. He's not unjust. Amen. Uh, now, uh, let me go to this one other verse here that I want to read to you. First Corinthians 15. Uh, it says this, but now is Christ risen from the dead. This is 1520 of First Corinthians. I'm just putting a, a cap on what I've just said. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Christ is the very first. Now, down in verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after they that are Christ, that is possessive, that are Christ, that means we belong to him. They that are Christ at his coming. So when he comes back, praise the Lord, then we'll rise to meet the Lord in the air. And so will our children who are holy. Uh, because they are holy, they will rise to meet, meet him in the air as well. All right, now we're going to hand out our handouts. This is our lesson for today. And I'm going to go into uh, chapter 5. We're in First Thessalonians. This is the last chapter in the book of First Thessalonians. And we have been talking to you here in the fourth chapter. The very end of the fourth chapter is all about the rapture. It's all about the rapture, and it talks about it. 14, uh, chapter 4 and verse 16 says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ, in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In other words, the dead will rise first, then we which caught up and will meet them in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that's at the end of the fourth chapter. Now when you go into chapter 5, this is where we're going into right now. Amen. And I want to talk to you here about these things. About And it says the day of the Lord. This refers to, this is uh, uh, verse 2 here. Now, look at 5, 1 and 2 with me, if you would. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. Let me put my, let me put that chart up here now. Now, we are talking about. We're talking about this period of time now that's it, after the rapture takes place. This is what fourth, fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians mentions, and then we go into what's going to happen right afterwards. So the day of the Lord. Now I'm going to explain to you what the day of the Lord is. This is a chart, and I'll bump it back a little bit here so that you can see all of it. That's not quite there yet.
I guess that's far as it gets. All right. There we go. And I know you can't read that, but you have one in your hand, and I can point to the area, and you can read it there. All right, so what we're pointing out, pointing out to you here is that this number one up here, the day of the Lord. This is verse 2. I'm here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and 1 and 2. I'm going to read this. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, you just talked about the rapture. Remember that. Verse 2, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, a day of the day of the Lord. Some of you have said, oh, that's the rapture. That's not the rapture. That's the judgment of God that comes after the rapture, the day of the Lord. Now, let me give you some scripture for that. I want you to uh, look with me here. And this is not in your notes, but I'm just going to give it to you. This is in uh, Amos. Amos chapter 18, 18, chapter 5, 18, I'm sorry. Amos 5, 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? Now look at this. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Verse 19, and read 19 and 20 there. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into a house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. In other words, there's no escape. Verse 20, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. Now, along with that verse of scripture that's in Amos, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I'm reading over here in Joel chapter 1 verse 15. Joel 1 15. Alas for the day, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Now notice that. I'm explaining here what the phrase the day of the Lord means. Verse chapter 2 verse 1 and 2 here in Joel. Joel 2 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 2, a day of darkness and of gloomness, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. So what I'm doing here is sort of giving you an overview here of what this day of the Lord is all about here. So when you read in over in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. This is going back now to where we are, what we're looking at here. It says that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So that tribulation period is going to come as a thief in the night. It'll come quickly. Now, let me just say one thing before I go any further, folks. And I won't get into the details on this. But there are signs that tell us that the Lord's coming is soon. And we are beginning to see those signs now. Don't be blind. Begin to look around you. The Bible says there will be earthquakes. That's going to be more earthquakes. That's going to be some tidal waves. You'll, you'll see it when you say, oh, well, the bishop was right about it. And there's going to be more crazy weather conditions. And there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We're not out of that yet. And one day it's going to really get serious. It's going to get real bad. How close are we to real bad right now? 
We don't know. I mean, if you look at the news very much, you can realize that this world is not getting nicer. It's getting meaner. And you and I want to be ready to go because God hath not appointed us to wrath. He's appointed us to his coming for his church. And so this is speaking about the Lord's day of judgment here when it talks about the day of the Lord. Now, I'm going to read on a little further uh, here. I'm going to read verse 3. This is 5-3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh. This is talking about that same period of time. I'm continuing on from verse 2. The day of the Lord cometh. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So I'm just pointing out to you here some things that are coming on the earth, and the Lord wants us to be ready to go when Jesus comes. So all these things, everything, praise the Lord. Now, uh, we are children of the light and not children of the day. This is where we are right now. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 4. Look at at verse 4 of that 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're still there. Verse 4, and this is going to the next part here. We are children of the day. This is where we are as the church. God, help us to appreciate what God's done for us. Help us, Lord, to abide in the faith. Stay with the faith. Don't go messing around out there in, in sin in the world and messing around with alcohol and drugs and booze and porno and garbage and everything else that's out there. Stay faithful to God and walk with the Lord and stay close to the Lord. Have a daily devotion. Praise the Lord. Every day, spend time with the Lord. If it's an hour or half an hour, even if it's only 15 minutes, have a time that you spend with the Lord just praying, talking to God, reading your Bible. Morning, evening, it doesn't matter, but have a certain time yourself. And if your family doesn't want you to be off by yourself someplace, say, look, I'm in prayer. I want you to allow that for me, for my time between me and the Lord. Just have a, a daily devotion. Let me move on here to this verse 4 here in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians. This is our last chapter in the book of First Thessalonians. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Notice that. Now, we are not the children of darkness. Therefore, that day of the Lord, which is darkness, the tribulation, will not overtake us as it would if we were not saved. But, brethren, ye are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. But ye are the children of light. That's us. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Notice that now. That's who we are. Now look at verse 6 with me closely here. Therefore, let us not sleep as others sleep. I don't mean this is not natural sleep. This is spiritual sleep. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us be watch. Let us watch and be sober. Now, I want you to notice the phrase here, let us. It's also mentioned down in verse 8, but let us who are the day be sober. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. We'll talk about that a little later. But I want you to notice the phrase, but let us who are sober, who are of the day, let us. And that scripture is found in the Bible in in various places and uh, 
It's interesting how that the Lord wants us to be very much aware. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. I'm going to talk to you about let us. And here's the reason. Some people think that everything is to do with, if you've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost does everything for you. No, no. The Lord puts responsibilities and commandments on us as individuals to follow and to do. And when the scripture says, let us, it means put forth an effort to do that. We have to step forward. You don't just say, oh, well, if God speaks to me, I will. Oh, God, if the Holy Ghost moves on me, then I will. No, no, no. You do what is right and what the book says, even though the Holy Ghost may not move you to do that. You know that's what we should do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know you're not supposed to go out and get drunk. You don't do that. You don't, you, nobody has to tell you that. It's the word, you know, says it, you know. And I won't give you scripture on that because we're not talking about the booze problem right now. But I am trying to say here that we are to do that which the Lord has commanded. So he says here, let us. Now look at 12.1. Wherefore, seeing ye also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of those who have lived for God ahead of us. Let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, when, and, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, Paul here, remember... Whenever he writes these things, let us, and this is also found over in the scripture that we just read to you, Thessalonians. These were the Greeks, and uh, these Greeks believed in the Olympics, and they had the Olympics every four years. They called the Olympiad, and uh, every four years they had the Olympics. Way back there in Paul's day, they had that. And those people who ran in the Olympics, they learned, praise the Lord, to lay aside weights. They may carry them in practice, but they lay them aside when they really run the race. Paul's saying, you guys are in a race now, and you don't want to be carrying a bunch of weights around with you. You don't understand what I'm saying? So he said, lay aside every weight and the sin, which does so easily beset us. Beset us means fortify itself against us. What Maybe we, each one of us or all of us may have... A, a besetting sin that's one that is there that we left behind. Maybe a guy was, uh, let's say, smoked cigarettes. And he laid cigarettes down, but he's tempted to always smoke cigarettes. And he always goes back to smoking cigarettes. Uh, no, 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 lay them down. That so easily besets himself against us. Or some guy that was delivered from pornographic stuff. And then he goes back to that stuff. And even though he's living for God, he goes back and messes and toys around with it. You understand what I'm saying? It says, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset against us. Beset is like a, an army that besets a city. It war, puts all of its armies up against the walls and they try to bombard the city from the outside and come inside. And that's what sin tries to do to each one of us. You understand the word besetting here? So let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, this is a scripture here that I'm reading to you here where the Bible talks about let us. Over in Hebrews 10, uh, there's another set of scriptures here. This is 10.23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Again, let us hold fast to what we have. Notice here, let us is implying we got a job to do. Let us hold fast the profession of that wavering. 
for he is faithful that promised. Verse 24, and let us. In other words, these are things that we have to do. Consider one another. Always think of the other brothers and sisters in the Lord and their situations and what they may be going through and how you can always help them and be a friend to them and, and help them to live for God. To provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the sins of yourselves together and so forth. <clears throat> Praise God. So I'm just pointing out to you here how that that scripture of let us is found in the scripture so emphatically and the Lord has given it to us. Praise the Lord that we might be able to walk with the Lord. Now, let me go ahead a little bit further here. Let us, and it's found here in these scriptures. Uh, I want you to look at number two here. I'm moving on very quickly here. Number two right here. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. We will not be subjected to the wrath of God. And I've already talked about that. And that's found in Revelation 6.17. Revelation 6.17. I'll read it just for case anybody wasn't here last week. And we brought that out. Well, I don't have to read it. Anyhow, 6.17 says, God had not appointed us to wrath. So when you read about the wrath of God in Revelation, you'll understand that these are things that God, praise the Lord, uh, hath spared us from. Praise the Lord. So we are spared from these things. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but we'll be sub- subjected to the wrath of God. That is the great tribulation period, Revelation six seventeen. Whether we're awake or asleep, we shall live together with him, verse 10. I'm looking here now at 5, I mean, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 10. And this is talking about we who are all awake. Who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. Now, sleep means death. That's those who have died. Paul uses that very kind word here. Because when people die, he says they're asleep. And uh, over in that same fifth chapter, uh, it says here in that 23rd verse, it says... uh, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. So we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Hopefully next week, I, I'm thinking very seriously about teaching on the, uh, the final destiny of man. This is a Bible study I've taught before, and it's one that most of our people always want me to teach again if I ever get around to it. I'm thinking about teaching it next Sunday morning in Sunday school class, the final destiny of man, and about the holy, righteous, and the wicked. And uh, this scripture here speaks about our we're body, soul, and spirit, and we're preserved blameless unto the coming of the, of the Lord. When we die, our body is put in the ground, but our soul and spirit never die. Our soul and spirit goes back to God who gave it. That's why Paul said, I'm between two, whether to be here with you or to go on and be with the Lord. And be with the Lord means his soul and spirit. When somebody dies, their soul and spirit goes back to God. Who gave it? The soul is the you. The soul is the person you are. It's your identity. You're different than anything else in God's creation, your soul. Your spirit is the life in you. The Holy Spirit is God's measure of life that's put inside your body with your soul and spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. But we are body, soul, and spirit. 
And the soul is the, and so the soul and the spirit are always together, always, because the soul gives, the spirit gives life to the soul. So that never died. I can give you scripture. I got all kinds of scripture for that. I can give it over to you. Next week we'll talk to you more about it. But I am trying to tell you here today, praise the Lord, that God wants us to always be faithful unto him and that he has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he says there, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, being dead, we should live together with him. Now, let me move on a little bit further here in our notes, and I'm going to move on because I know our time here is getting away. Praise the Lord. Notice here, I want to talk to you here about verse 12. Look at verse 12 for a minute. Now, I, I referred to it last week, but in a different way. Verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now it goes on to say, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This is speaking about pastors. But before I get to that part, look at know them which labor among you. And I've got this right written right in the notes and you can see it there. Know them who labor among you. This is under admonitions A now. Verse 12, don't be naive. Mothers and small children, parents and, and with teenagers, that is, know who your children are associating with. Are you listening to me? Now, I know most of us in this adult class probably are older than people who have small children. Not all, but some. And uh, But know who your children are associating with. Parents with teenagers, know who your children are associating with. Even who they're sitting with in church. Know what's going on with your children. Know who, what's going on with your children. You can have somebody that just comes in the church and they're hanging around the church and hanging around the church, but it doesn't mean they're saved. You can say, oh, well, they're it's good and everything. But they may have bad influence on your children. I'm serious. I'm giving you words of wisdom here. These are words of wisdom here. We as leaders of the congregation cannot know everything about everyone who comes into the building. Or everything that goes on in these facilities. We don't always know everything. We try to make sure that people aren't doing crazy things and all that. But you never know what's going on. So parents, watch your children. Be mindful of who they associate with. And if that way in the church, also outside the church, more so, more so. What are they doing? You know, cell phones I'm talking about. What are your children looking at? You say, oh, my the little children, they, they don't look. Well, how do you know? The big children, the teenagers, what are they doing? Who are they talking to? What are they contacting? Who are they listening to? So be mindful, be mindful, praise the Lord, of those that you're associating with in all things. Always be diligent about knowing where your children are at all time. Now, be here, and I alluded to this last week, and I will just briefly mention it because it's mentioned in a couple of places here. Be, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This is speaking of pastors now. Notice what I say here about pastors, and that is your pastor. This is in your notes. His office is the only office in the local church appointed and ordained by the Lord. His is appointed by the Lord. He should be respected by us at all times. At all times. Note, 
All other church officers are appointed by the pastor, and because of that, they should be respected also, because they are appointed by. So all officers of the church should be respected because they're appointed by the pastor, but especially the office of the pastor. Amen. Don't ever stand up against the pastor because God has put him there. If you do, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble, and I don't. That's not a problem in this church. Thank God. I can't remember us ever having a problem like that in this church, and I thank God for that. And where people stand against the pastor, but I have known churches where they 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 are they they were like that, and it's it's not a healthy thing, not a good thing. But God has praise the Lord has told us that we should always stand with our pastors and everything. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, I think, is the verse that I got mentioned here. Hebrews seventeen thirteen. Let's see what that says. 12, 12, 13, let's see, 13, 17, I'm sorry, my, I'm a little slow here, yeah, obey them that have rule over you, 13, 17, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Amen. I mentioned this last week as well as they that have given account. So have to give an account. So be very respectful to always to our pastor and to the offices that he establishes because God has also made him overseer of all those things. Uh, note all church officers, everything should be found. Look at the quotations and to esteem them very highly. Always, always, always honor the man, men of God. He or they, plural, are our spiritual leaders and it is required of God that they, that we honor them. It's required of God that we do so. Please note David's attitude in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 24, 10. This is an interesting uh, scripture here that I want to give with you. This is over in 1 Samuel. And we're talking here about honoring our pastor and our leaders. This is where Saul, who was king, was pursuing David to take his life. David was just a young man who was running for his life from Saul, from Saul the king. And uh, Saul, Saul knew that David was to be the next king because God had used Samuel to anoint him to be the next king. And he was afraid that David was going to take his position of kingship away from him. So he's pursuing David to get rid of David, kill him. And he chased David and chased him and everything. David's always fleeing out in the wilderness. And as David fled, men would join up with David. So that in time, David had 600 men that traveled with him. They, they moved, they went with him. They had the swords and they were great mighty. He had 30 men that were called mighty men. They were exceptionally strong and very tough men. Anyhow, this had to begin, begin to develop. At one point, he went into a cave and hid in a cave. And Saul's army came up on the outside of the cave and Saul went inside, just inside the cave and put down a blanket and went to sleep on it. And David and his men are all back inside the cave. And when they did, they went out. When Saul was sound asleep in the middle of the night, he and a few others walked out to the edge where Saul was. And David took a knife and cut off the end of his his, his robe just cut it off. And then when he did, he just, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should not even have touched anything. And here's what he said later, whenever uh, 
Look at verse 6, 24, 6. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And even though Saul was seeking to take David's life, David would not lift his hand against him. Now later on, whenever morning came and Saul and his men had pulled way away and they were away across a little valley, David came out and began to talk to him. Verse 9, 24, 9, David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words say, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Look at verse 10. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that, that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And over in that verse 20, 20th, Saul was repentant of what he had done. And he says, Now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Saul knew that. But then he got he got bad, and things went on like that, and it happened again later on. But at both times, David would never touch Saul at all because he was a soldier. Now, if David would be that with somebody that was trying to kill him, how much more so should we ever lift our hand against the man of God, whoever he is? And you say, Brother Myers, or you no, no, no. I'm just trying to say here, let's respect that, and God will honor us if we always do that. God will take care of anybody that goes bad. You say, does pastors ever go bad? Does men ever go bad? Oh, yeah, here and there, once in a while, somebody will go bad and everything. But God will deal with them. God will deal with them. You don't have to. You don't have to. Okay. God bless you here. Uh, other admonitions. Paul placed these and other admonitions at the end of practically all of his epistles. Look at uh, 5, 14, and 22. I'm going back to First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, let me get back to it here. All right. First, I'm going to read verse 14 here. 514. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. This is instructions to us. Now we exhort you, brethren. He's telling the, uh, the Ephesian church to do this for their own brethren that they are in among. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. If somebody's act not doing right, Warn them. Talk to them. Tell them. Say, no, no, you shouldn't do that. No, no, don't, don't go, go, don't go in that direction. Unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Those that are slow. Those that have problems. Those that are weak-minded, maybe. But be a friend. Be comfort, comfort, comfort them. So forth. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Support the weak. So he's telling the church here to, to think of others around us so that it's not just me and the Lord alone, but it's me and the Lord and all of my brothers and sisters as well. Folks, we're all together. We're all part of the family of God. We're all part of this wonderful church on the earth, the kingdom of God on earth. And God is coming back for this church, praise the Lord. And he wants us to love him first. 
Calvary is like this, with a cross. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. First commandment. And the second commandment is like unto this, love your neighbor as yourself. Those on each side of you. Praise the Lord. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But love your neighbor as yourself. Praise God. You understand what I'm saying? And then Jesus went on to say that in these two commandments are all the law and the prophets. Are all in these two commandments. If you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Heart, mind, soul, and physical strength. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love him as yourself. Not with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but as yourself. Praise the Lord. Then we fulfill all of the law and the prophets. And the Lord is telling us here in the scriptures, amen, that we are to esteem them that very high, that would, now that we exhort our brother, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Be patient. Praise the Lord. So the Lord's given instructions here to this Thessalonian church who had come through the fire and had survived and they loved God and they were worshiping the Lord. But I want you to keep on doing what's right because one day the Lord's coming back. Now, look at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Evil unto evil. Now, what did Jesus say? If a man smites you one cheek, turn the other. You know, if he takes your coat, give him, give me your cloak also. He said, wait a minute. If a man hits me, I'm, I'm supposed to not hit him back. You know, no. That's exactly what Jesus was telling us. Well, that's not what normally we think about doing or how we react to things like that. I know that. Jesus is trying to help us to walk a higher plane, a higher level. Now, he talks about it, praise the Lord, in a, little, in a, in a broader sense. Paul does here. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. He may not hit you with his fist, but he may, he may do something else. I mean, he may do something evil. And he says, don't say, I'm going to get even with you. I'll get even with you. I'll get back at you. You know, don't do that. You say, well, this is what we should do in the church. No, this is even outside the church. You know, your neighbor, he's a, you know, he does something. And now I'm going to get even with him. You know, no, 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 no. I, I'm not trying to come up with no illustrations here. But you know what I mean? You don't try to do tit for tat. And you just say, no, I'm just going to keep on living for God because God will take care of him and God will honor you and lift you up for you doing what's right. Praise the Lord. I know that's hard. I know those are hard lessons. But remember, before Paul ever said it, Jesus said it. The man smite you on one cheek, turn to him the other. That's cheeks right here. All right. So see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but follow that which is good. Both among yourselves and to all men, unto all men. Now, verses 16 down through 22, he gives us a series of commandments to do, and they're found at the end of all of the epistles, all the epistles just about that Paul wrote. Look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Praise the Lord. Folks, just keep on rejoicing in the Lord, praising God. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you pray 24 hours a day. You can't. You've got to be sleeping sometime. It says pray without ceasing. It means to have a consistent prayer life. Some type. 
and keep it up. Don't let it fall through the cracks. Have a consistent prayer life that you sit down and talk to the Lord or kneel down. I don't, I, I can't kneel like I used to. So I sit and talk to God, but I have my prayer life. I have my prayer time and I so enjoy it. And I feel the, sometime I'm praying and, and God will move on me and I just talk in tongues. That's just between me and Jesus. Nobody else is there. You know, it's not, I'm giving it a message or anything like that. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. Many of you, have, you know what I'm talking about. You experience things. But have your time that you can just talk to the Lord and you pray the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. If you can't think of anything else to say in prayer, folks. Just thank the Lord. Thank him for the air you breathe. Thank for the water that you drink. Thank him for the USA. Thank you for Palm Bay. Thank you for your neighborhood. Thank you for the home you have. Thank you for the car you drive. Thank you for the gas that you're able to buy. Thank you for the clothes on your back. Thank him for the shoes on your feet. Praise the Lord. Thank him for uh, the health that you have. Thank him that you woke up in your right mind. Thank him that you can see. I'm serious. I'm serious. Thank him for your wife. Thank him for your husband if you're a woman. Thank him for the uh, wife if you're a man. Thank him for, uh, for your children. Thank him for your grandchildren. Now I have three greats. <laughs> I tell people, I say, your great children, your great grandchildren will make you great. You'll be a great grandpa or great grandma. So you're great. If you're nothing else, you're great. Praise the Lord. Anyhow, thank God for your children, grandchildren, and if you've got any great-grandchildren. Let me just say this. Be thankful for everything. And when you begin to thank the Lord, it can go on and on. Thank Him for your, your home. Thank you for your backyard. Thank you for your patio. Thank you for the squirrels that run around. Thank you for the trees that grow around. I'm serious. Thank Him, praise the Lord, for the, a beautiful day when the sun comes up in the morning. Thank you for a beautiful night when the moon shines so bright. The Lord put the moon there. There's so many things, praise the Lord, that we can thank God for and be so thankful. And I'm going to close out now with this. Quench not the spirit. Don't quench it. Despise not prophesying. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and can also refer to preaching. Verse 21. Prove all things. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from everything. It looks bad and sounds bad. Just stay away from it. And it goes on and on. Amen. Let's stand together and give God the praise. What a good audience you've been this morning. God love you. Praise the Lord. Jesus, we thank you today for your goodness and blessings. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of God. Bless our morning service. Give us the anointing of the Lord upon the ministry and upon the service itself, God, as we worship you. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.